You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 down to verse 22, and we're going to be asking the question, what did Jesus actually do for us? But before we take a look at this passage, just a couple quick things I wanted to share. First of all, I want to invite you to stop over to our website, which is desirejesus.com. And on the website right now, we have Desire Jesus Volume 9, which is my latest 30-day devotional geared toward helping you grow in your walk with Christ. And we have it available for free download. So if you'd like to download a free copy of it, you're invited to do so. Just stop over at desirejesus.com and grab your free copy. We'll be happy to share that with you. It's also available on Amazon if you prefer paperbacks. And uh, the Kindle edition is also available on Amazon. But if you would like a free copy, just head over to DesireJesus.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the blog, check out some of the other resources that we have available. And if you don't mind, send us a message. Let us know via email how we could be praying for you, and we'll certainly be happy to do that. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're talking about what Jesus actually did for us. And this, the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today from 1 Peter chapter 3 is a portion of Scripture that includes some content that I think a lot of times people look at and they scratch their heads and they wonder, what's this referring to? What, what's being spoken of here in this portion of Scripture? Well, there's certainly some things here that theologians like to debate. I'll give you my slant on it, and by all means, you're, you're free to agree or disagree with my perspective on some of these things. But in 1 Peter 3, in the midst of some of the things that seem maybe a little bit fuzzy or unclear, there are certainly some things here that are very clear about what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So I'm going to read that for us right now. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 18, and again, I'm going to read down to verse 22, but this is what it says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture together today. And Lord, we pray that as we do so, that you'd give us wisdom and insight. We pray that we would understand these things, that your Holy Spirit would prevail in our thinking, so that you would make clear the truth of your Scriptures to our hearts today. We commit this time to your care. We thank you for this privilege to be able to look at your word together, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine attending a church worship service and never hearing the message of the gospel taught or proclaimed. 
Sadly, there are many contexts where that has been an issue historically, but it's also a concern in some contexts during our present day. And it can be a little too easy for us to lose sight of who Jesus really is and what he has chosen to accomplish on our behalf. When we read the scriptures, sometimes we have the benefit of learning something new. Other times we have the benefit of being reminded of something we already know that we haven't necessarily thought about in a while. And the portion of scripture that we're about to look at Uh, I think it probably incorporates both of those benefits. As we think about its content, some Christians will learn something new, while others will be reminded of things that maybe they just haven't thought about in a while. Well, what would our lives be like without Jesus? What kind of future would we be currently looking forward to if he hadn't intervened on our behalf? Sometimes it could be far too easy for us to become complacent in our understanding of what he has accomplished on our behalf. We're so used to the benefits that he brings to our lives that we don't consider the kind of mess we'd be in without him. Well, when you look at this portion of Scripture, this Scripture helps us gain a better glimpse of some of the obvious and some of the -the behind-the-scenes things that Jesus accomplished for us. The work he has done on our behalf is of far greater significance and far greater effect than we often realize. And right away, one of the things that this scripture teaches that Jesus accomplished for us was that Jesus experienced death and resurrection in order to defeat sin's power in our lives. Look again at what it says in verse 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Several times during my life, I've sprained my right ankle. I've sprained my left ankle too, but I've sprained my right ankle several times, and two of those sprains were extremely severe. I could barely walk after injuring my ankle. My leg almost up to my knee was swollen, and it changed all different colors. There were yellows and purples and blues and reds, and it it was terrible. And when the injuries were fresh, I remember having this feeling like the pain and the suffering would never end. It just seemed like the pain lingered and lingered and lingered, and you'd, you'd be expecting it to subside, but it never seemed like it was going to. But then, eventually, it did. My leg, my ankle... They healed. But I can tell you that even now they're still prone to repeat that injury. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, it tells us something about what Jesus was willing to experience in bodily form during the course of his earthly ministry. We know that during the earthly ministry of Christ, his body was tortured. Jesus suffered, and he experienced all kinds of malice at the hands of the very people he had lovingly created. But his suffering was only for a season. He isn't suffering now. I regularly see portrayals of him suffering, and I recognize that some theological traditions held by certain Christian denominations treat things like communion in particular as if it's a repeated crucifixion of Jesus. But when you look at what the Scripture actually tells us, that isn't the case. Jesus suffered how many times to pay for our sins? Once. One time. He is not in a state of perpetual suffering. That's what the Scripture reveals to us. 
Sin has its consequences. Uh, Before mankind rebelled against God, we were warned that if we broke fellowship with the Lord, that we would die. And we did it anyway. We were doomed to suffer the fate of eternal condemnation and eternal separation from God. We were all guilty, and none of us could correct this problem because we were all guilty of the same thing. Into this mess we had created, Jesus inserted himself to address the problem. Jesus, who is God the Son, took on flesh, became a man, and suffered the penalty we deserved. We were guilty, yet he was righteous. And the righteous died for the guilty in order to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin, and then bless us with the gift of his righteousness which we lacked. Then Scripture tells us that Jesus rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now all who trust in Jesus can look forward to experiencing resurrection as well, as the Holy Spirit indwells all who believe. Now we don't need to be mastered by sin, Satan, or the fear of death. Christ has defeated their power in our lives. Well, what else does this chapter tell us that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf? When you look at verses 19 and 20, it tells us that Jesus proclaimed his victory over those who were defeating us. Look at those verses. This is what it says in verse 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, I'll admit that when we look at this portion of Scripture here, that there's a lot of debate over what's meant by these verses. Some of the things that are referenced in this passage are regularly debated by theologians, and I don't suspect that we'll settle all the questions that can arise from these verses today. But I do want to point out a few things about what Jesus graciously did for us. When I look at this passage of Scripture, I see a picture of Jesus proclaiming his victory over those who delighted in defeating his people. When we read through the pages of Scripture, we learn certain things about the spirit world. We're told that there are such beings as angels and demons. Angels and demons, by the way, aren't people who have passed away. They are a separately created order of beings. Demons, in fact, are fallen angels who rebelled against the Lord and chose to follow the lead of Satan, who was another fallen angel. Scripture tells us that in the days before the Great Flood, this world was filled with people who lived in a state of continual rebellion against God. Let me show you what I mean by that. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 6. I'll read the first five verses of Genesis 6. And this is what it says in that particular passage. We read, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It's a fascinating portion of Scripture, and it tells us a lot about the state that people's hearts were in prior to the flood. We're also given the impression in that passage that fallen angels may have produced offspring with human women and contributed to the corruption that was present on this earth to God's great displeasure. It appears that these fallen angels have been cast into hell where they await final judgment. We see reference to this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. So again, let me read that for us. This is what it says in that passage. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. That's what it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Now, during that time, the Lord told Noah to build an ark. The ark was huge. It took Noah and his family 120 years to complete it. And during that time, people certainly would have seen it and certainly would have asked about it. And in fact, I believe it served as a visible testimony that judgment was coming. Every time they took a glance at it and thought about what it represented, they could have elected to repent of their unbelief toward God, but they didn't. Only eight people entered that ark when the floodwaters came, and the rest of humanity perished. Satan works against humanity, and he encourages us to blaspheme our Lord who gave us life. The fallen angels that partner with Satan, they do the very same thing. And it may be that 1 Peter 3.19 is telling us that sometime after Christ's resurrection and ascension, he announced the victory he had secured to the fallen angels who have been working against humanity throughout human history. Their attempts to defeat humanity and their attempts to defeat God's plans for his most precious creation have failed. And Jesus has made it known. Something else that we're told in this chapter that Jesus has accomplished for us is that he allows us to identify with him. Look at what it says in verse 21. It says it this way. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My family was watching a classic sitcom the other evening, and in it, one of the main characters was starting high school. He was a teenager starting his first year of high school, and his plan was to spend his first day in school in that particular episode becoming good friends with the coolest guy in school in the hopes that others would also think that he was cool too. But unfortunately, the cool guy didn't want this new student to associate with him. And the whole premise of the episode followed that trail. Well, thankfully, that's not the case for us. Jesus, the one who spoke creation into existence, allows us to identify with him. In our case, we become identified with him through baptism. Baptism is referenced multiple times in Scripture. We're told that the moment we trust in Jesus, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We are united with Christ, and we're also united with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Let me read that verse for us. 
It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So at the moment we trusted in Christ, we were baptized with the Holy Spirit, we were united with Christ, and we were united with one another. Now we also practice baptism with water. And what's that do? What's the purpose of that? Well, baptism with water serves as a visible symbol of what the Holy Spirit has done for us. Some people treat water baptism as if that act has the capacity to save a lost soul, but that's not its purpose. Peter himself even says that the baptism that saves isn't the removal of dirt from the body. Salvation is accomplished as an act of God's grace, and it's received through faith in Jesus Christ. Water baptism is a visible symbol of the Spirit's baptism that happened the moment we believed. The point being made here is that Jesus allows us to identify with him. He has blessed us with the gift of his righteousness, and he isn't ashamed to call us his brothers. In his resurrection, he defeated sin's stranglehold on us, and now, as forgiven believers in him, he has granted us the gift of a clear conscience before God the Father. We can stand before God the Father confident that when he looks at us, he will see the presence of the righteousness of Christ. And if this wasn't enough, There's one other thing that we're told in this portion of Scripture that Jesus has done on our behalf, and that's this. He rules and he reigns with perfect judgment. Look at verse 22 again. It says this, "...who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him." I saw a news report just the other day that claimed that more and more people were struggling to get a good night's sleep. When asked why, many of the respondents claimed that their fear of world leaders making bad or dangerous decisions was keeping them up at night. They questioned the judgment of the very people that have been empowered with the ability to lead nations and set governmental policy. Now, while that's a concern for me too, and while I'm also a bad sleeper, those aren't the kinds of concerns that are robbing me of sleep, because I trust what this scripture tells me is true. While human leaders frequently let us down, our ultimate hope should never be in the people that we elect to office. They can do good things, but they are no substitute for Jesus. This scripture tells us that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. All creation is subject to him, even though there are many on this earth who don't yet live like this is true. Still, there is also coming a day when heaven and earth will be united and Christ will visibly rule with fairness, benevolence, and perfect justice. There will be world peace when the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, is sitting on the throne and calling the shots. And I love how it's described in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. It says it this way, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Isn't it amazing to consider all that Jesus has accomplished for us and all he still intends to do? He suffered for us, defeated sin's power over us, proclaimed his victory to those who were bent on defeating us. He allows us to identify with him in baptism, and he rules and reigns with perfect justice and benevolence. When we get too wrapped up in ourselves or our day-to-day situations, it can be easy to forget about these blessings. But gratefully, the Word of God continually brings to our attention the wonderful grace of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this particular portion of Scripture. We see the things that Jesus did for us, and it prompts our hearts to be grateful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this portion of Scripture today and to meditate on the various things that you've accomplished on our behalf, things that we do not have the power to do, things that only you could accomplish. And Lord, because you're gracious, because you're merciful, because you're the perfection of love, you've chosen to do these things for us so that you would be glorified, so that we would benefit and so that ultimately all things would be restored as you originally intended them to be. Lord, we're grateful that you reveal these things to us in your word. Help us, Lord, in every context of life to express thankfulness to you, recognizing that we have great blessings that come directly from your hand. Lord, you bring us comfort, you grant us hope for the future, and we rejoice over the truth that we find in your word that points us toward you. We just thank you for all these things, Lord, today, and we thank you for your presence with us as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of this episode, we invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. That website grows every single week. There's always new content being added there. So we'd invite you to stop by and check out some of the information that we have available. A whole bunch of stuff you'll be able to download for free. We have blog postings and We also have the latest 30-day devotional in the Desire Jesus series. That's Volume 9. It's available for free download right now on the website if you want to check it out. We hope that you'll find it useful and that the Lord will use it to encourage you in your walk with Him. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. We look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. 
My name is Carly Merkulier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.